You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm not going to invite you to turn to Habakkuk. I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to take a little bit of a break, just a one-week break uh, in our study of Habakkuk, um, a very intentional break. Uh, this has been a passage of Scripture that's been on my heart uh, for us as a church. Last week, I, I mentioned to you, I said to you, uh, well, what a great place to start the woes of, Hab- of Habakkuk on Valentine's Day. What a great uh, message. Woe to the sinner. Uh, something that we uh, might not think about on Valentine's Day. It may not seem appropriate. And I made this statement to you today that, um, or last week rather, that uh, we can't know the love of God unless we know the justice of God. Because a God who is not just is also a God who is not loving. Furthermore, he declares himself to be both of these things in his word. And so if he is not one or the other of them, that would make him a liar. And certainly that is not true. And so we need to know the God of justice if we are going to know the God of love. But even with that, as I was thinking on this subject of love, there is so much confusion in our culture and in our day about what love really is. We've defined it in so many different ways. And even lately, there has been an increasing cry. If you watched, how many of you watched the Super Bowl last uh, Sunday night when we didn't have church? Anybody? Okay, great. We'll have church next year. Uh, so anyway, uh, so if you watched the Super Bowl, you heard this constant outcry for unity, right? Which is a function of love. And, and how is it that we even know how to do that without turning to the Lord? There's such a... Such a confusion over what love is in our day and unity at that. And you take love and you subtract the truth and justice. You don't have love. So lots of confusion about it. At the same time, truth and cause living for those things without love is just as dangerous. And it's even more subtle in the church. That we would stand on the truth and that we would stand for righteousness and stand for this cause and yet have very little love to go along with it. And that's the subject that I want to speak to you about today. This has been a passage on my heart for some time. And and to some degree, I, I really wrestled with whether to bring this before you on Valentine's Day because this has been called the love chapter. And perhaps it's become a little cliché. In our addressing of it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
And so I've been wrestling with this, not just this week, but for a number of months now, knowing that we need to hear it as a church and just asking the question, when? And then this week and all of my struggle early on in the week, I received a phone call. That phone call came from one of our church members and the church member proceeded to tell me that uh, I you'll never guess what woke me up in the middle of the night last night. And I was expecting to fully hear some crazy off-the-wall story of what happened in the middle of the night last night. I mean, wouldn't you have if you received that phone call? And, uh, and so I said, what? And the person on the other end of the phone said, 1 Corinthians 13. And so I said, all right, Lord, that's where we'll go. So, by the leadership of the Lord this morning, if you have found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read all of 1 Corinthians 13 together. The Bible says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so, that, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank You that You have already displayed for us the greatest love that anyone could ever know when You went to the cross. Thank You that, God, You demonstrated Your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were your enemies, when we had turned away from you in rebellion, when it was woe to us, Jesus, you poured out your love toward us. And God, thank you for pursuing us in the gospel. And I pray that if there's one here this morning that's never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would receive your love this morning and be saved. Jesus, we thank You that this love that You loved us with was not only something we were to receive, but something we were to reproduce. 
Thank you that we are to pour out your love on others. And I pray that even as you have loved us first, that we would love one another. And that you would help us this morning to see from your word what that looks like. The need for it. The nature of it. And ultimately that it endures for all of time. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In 1984, some of you, this will date. For me, that was the year that I was born. In 1984, there was a song that was released, written by Tina Turner. The song is called, What's Love Got to Do With It? Now you're all going to be going home singing that song all the way home. You're welcome. But the song was written and it took the charts by storm. It received three awards at the end of 1985 in the Grammy Awards. Those three awards were Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. And then in 2012, it was actually inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. And it was ranked number 309 by Rolling Stone on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Certainly it's a song that most of us know what's love got to do with it, got to do with it. What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Were the words to the chorus of the song. And I'm not going to sing it for you. Certainly not going to do my hair like that. The song argues, though, for a transactional view of relationships. It argues that relationships should not and cannot ultimately be defined by love, that they are, in fact, defined by something altogether different. And love is not even necessary for the relationship to exist. They're simply the result of a physical transaction. Love really doesn't have to do anything with it at all. You might find it interesting that Tina actually grew up Baptist. <laughs> Did you know that? Tina Turner actually grew up Baptist by faith. But just about ten years before this song was written, she converted to Buddhism. If you've been following our worldview class, which by the way will begin or, or reconvene next week, if you've been following our worldview class, you may realize that Buddhism falls into the category of new spirituality, where ethical decisions that we make are based not upon what is right and what is wrong, but on karma. What goes around comes around. And so although the core values of Buddhism are not to misuse sex, not to engage in careless sex, but to promote self-awareness and see the need to overcome our animal cravings, so to speak. It would seem that for Tina, the greater core value became karma. There was a conflict between the core value that stated and the core value that she lived out. The bridge of the song says this, I've been taking on a new direction. But I have to say, I've been thinking about my own protection. It scares me to feel this way. Clearly, Tina Turner experienced somewhere in her life, or at least was writing based on someone who did, a broken heart where she saw love as something to be avoided. 
and reducing relationships simply down to the physical attraction, she could avoid the broken heart. In other words, karma, what goes around comes around. Now, we as the church would and should clearly condemn such a sexual ethic. Amen. Never should we see our lives in this way. By God's design as given in the Bible, sexual relations are reserved for marriage, for the marriage bed and marriage in the way that God defined it, not in the way that we defined it, define it. That is one man, one, one woman for life. This is God's design and that relationship to be within the covenant union of what the Bible calls marriage. Marriage is first spiritual before it is physical. Therefore, the act that God has created cannot be removed from the physical and the spirit or cannot be removed from the emotional and the spiritual cannot be ultimately stripped away from these things and it will ultimately have emotional and spiritual effects. This is exactly what she discovered. And so as Christians, we should reject the message of this song and the lifestyle that it promotes as immoral and yet what is commonplace today. We should reject it. Amen? It dishonors the Lord. This is not how we're to live as believers. But, but, let's not be so quick to dismiss the reality of the philosophy. Because the fact is that although we would dismiss this worldview in the way that she saw it, We are prone to adopt this worldview in so many other areas of our life. And one of those areas, the greatest areas where love should be displayed is within the church. Though we would never claim what she claims, and I hope that you would not claim that. And if you have claimed that worldview, you should repent of it and turn to Christ. But the fact is that within the church, we oftentimes naturally seem to ask the question, well, what's love got to do with it? In many ways, we've reduced our decisions and our actions and our relationships to purely transactional exchanges with very little love, and certainly within the church. And that's exactly what's happening at the church at Corinth. And Paul wants to make one thing crystal clear, both to the church at Corinth and to us this morning, and it is this. Without love, everything you do is simply noise. Without love, everything you do is simply noise. It's meaningless. It's useless. It has no value. This is a passage that's often read at weddings, isn't it? How many of you have heard 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding? Anybody in the room? We often hear it in that context and It would be appropriate to read this passage at a wedding because the passage does answer the question, what's love got to do with it? And it should be everything within the context of marriage, right? Everything is about the love of God in Christ for us and through us to one another. That is certainly true. But even though it's appropriate and it would be true to read this passage at a wedding, the context is not marriage Here in the passage, the passage is actually dealing with the church. And what Paul is doing is he's addressing a church that was fractured and divided by a lack of love for one another. 
fractured over things like who they were going to follow, what direction they were ultimately going to go as a church, how they were to use their spiritual gifts and which spiritual gifts were the most important. They were filing lawsuits on one another. They were trying to trip one another up with food regulations. And selfishly, they were excluding one another from the Lord's table. There was a lack of love within the church at Corinth. And the immediate context is what we find in chapter 11 and chapter 12 and chapter 14. And you'll see it all around. Instructions on the Lord's Supper. Go with me to chapter 11, verse 18. And listen to what's happening here at the church at Corinth. He says, in chapter 11, he says, for in this, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And he says, I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. They're arguing for clout, for honor, for recognition. Verse 20, this is all having to do with the Lord's Supper. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. They're indulging themselves. This is not to remember the Lord. He says in verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise, listen to the word, despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. He says there's, there's all of this division among you surrounding the Lord's Supper. Then we get over into chapter 12. He deals with the subject of gifts. In verse 12 he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, all the members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then notice verse 21, what they're saying. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, listen, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Love within spiritual gifts, honoring one another, recognizing that God has blessed and uniquely gifted one another for the sake of ministry. Don't divide over that. Then he moves directly into this subject of love and the beginning of verse of, of chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He says, for one speaks in a tongue, one who speaks in a tongue uh, speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. You see, the church at Corinth had a really earnest desire for the truth. If you go back into chapter 2 in this 
this teaching about the Holy Spirit being their teacher and their longing to follow the one who is going in the right direction, there was an earnestness in them for the truth. And yet, in their zeal and earnestness to know the truth, they had one glaring inconsistency. And that is that they had no love. In church, may we, be, may we never be guilty of defending love without truth and justice and adopting the secular worldview that we've already described this morning. But I am afraid that we are oftentimes in danger of adopting even a more subtle temptation within the body of Christ. And that is defending the truth without loving anyone. I'm concerned about this temptation and how we deal with the world. Thinking in terms of where we are now in our culture, certainly there are a lot of things that should be condemned in our culture and we should stand against false views and immoral choices. All of these things that we see in the culture. But I'm concerned that even in our stand for righteousness and against wickedness, that we often are unloving in the way that we do it. And... As a church within this body, I'm concerned about this temptation when it comes to matters of ministry, especially as I think about all that we're doing this year, as stated from the beginning of the year, to try to reorganize and reinvigorate our ministry teams and get all of those things going. Inevitably, when you get people into the same room and working on the same task, everyone has a different way of doing things. I think it's a good and wise direction for us to get different people to the to the table so that we know what it looks like to move forward as a church and, and we do ministry effectively. But if we're not careful, our zeal for doing things righteously and doing things well can become truth without love. And Paul says, without love, everything you do is simply noise. This is such a convicting passage of Scripture, isn't it? It's not one that needs a whole lot of explanation. But certainly it has a wide area of application. So we think about relationships within the church. It's convicting the way that we relate to one another. It's convicting when we think about our own marriage, isn't it? As you read these words... How quickly you find yourself falling short as you read the passage. Maybe I'm just talking to myself this morning. But certainly as we think about our marriage, as we think about our parenting. Man, how many mistakes we make when it comes to parenting, raising our children and teaching them the love of Christ and the way that we love them. Oh, how quickly we are convicted when we read 1 Corinthians 13. And so there are... Three things that Paul argues for regarding Christian love in this passage that I want you to take note of this morning. Three things that must be true in the life of the Christian who is loving one another. Number one, Christian love is essential. Number two, Christian love must be biblical. And number three, Christian love is eternal. Christian love is essential, it must be biblical, and it is eternal. So let's look at those three things together. Number one, Christian love 
is essential. It's essential. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is speaking here about spiritual gifts. And that's what's so convicting about this passage, because these are all good things. These are not bad things, right? Honorable things. Defendable things. Things that should be true and that are actually affirmed and encouraged by the text. Chapter 14, and we would read this more if we had time, but he says, I I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. There is a, an, uh, an affirmation, or a recommendation that you do these things. Praying that you would do these things earnestly. The heart of Paul says all of these things are good and honorable. He says, speak well. Right? Speak in the tongues of men and angels. There are people that, that are in the Christian life that are eloquent, that speak well. When they speak and they, they explain God's Word, it's in such a way that people understand it. I, I think we've all known that preacher who when he preaches, it seems as if heaven itself is speaking, right? We've had that person in our life that speaks eloquent and that speaks well in the tongues of men and angels. And Paul says, do that. Paul says, prophesy. He says, tell us about the times and the seasons that we're in. Bring the Word of God to bear on the culture. Show us what this looks like. Tell us how the Word of God is coming true right before our very eyes in a way that you understand, in a way that's unique to you, that's spiritually given. It's a mystery to all of us, but we we need to hear it. So prophesy, he says. Have faith, he says. Faith that can move the mountains, he says. Tell us about times in your life when you've been praying and God has done an amazing work. We all know those prayer warriors in our lives who, even though they go through the darkest of valleys, they continue to pray and God just simply responds to that faith in their life. They're held strong. They're immovable. They're unshakable. And Paul says, have this faith. Give, he says. Give it all away. Give what you have to those in need. Give so that missions can go forward. Give to the church so that the things that that the church is desiring to do for the cause of Christ might go forward. Be charitable, Paul says. Give. Sacrifice. He says, deliver up your body to be burned, even for the sake of the gospel. Stand on the truth. Don't waver. Don't back down. Be bold in the culture. Even for the sake of laying down your life if you have to. Stand against every gospel foe, both foreign and domestic. Tear down every philosophy that rises up against God and His Word. Sacrifice and do these things. All of these things are good and right and honorable and worthy of praise. But watch this. If you remove love from any of them, they are just noise. Paul says, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
We have a saying in my house. Most of the time it happens in the car on the way to school when we're spending 30 minutes on the road. That saying is, kids, you're making useless noise again, right? Don't make useless noise. If you want to talk, talk. If you want to sing, sing. But don't just make noise to be making noise. My kids do that all the time. I don't know about your kids. And it seems like it's just like that gong. You keep hitting it over and over and just swells and gets bigger. The point, I'm veering all over the road just trying to keep things in order in the back seat. Maybe I'm just confessing this morning. At any rate, what Paul says is, that's exactly what you're doing without love. You can do all of these things, but without love, it's like a useless, empty, annoying bunch of noise. The noises that your kids make incessantly, the sound of clanging cymbals, without any rhyme or reason to it at all. It serves absolutely no purpose. It's empty. Paul says, if I do these things and have not love, I am nothing and I'm gaining nothing. It goes from the very top of the top in terms of spiritual gifts. And when you subtract love, you don't go from ten to nine or ten to eight Or 10 to 7. You go from 10 to 0. When love's gone. And yet so often. We. Are not marked. By love. It's void. Of love. Christian love is essential. And yet it's absent. In the life of the Christian. Jesus says. That we'll be marked by our love, right? The world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And yet so often we fight for what should be and what needs to be and what must be with so very little love for others. It's easy in Christian ministry to become so focused on the need. So focused on the task at hand. At accomplishing a goal and to become so concerned with the process and the plan that we forget that Christian ministry is about people. It's not about the process or the plan. It's about the people. God-centered ministry to people. We must love people. And this is so incredibly convicting even as I say this because the temptation in pastoral ministry is as great if not greater than it is for you. You want to see the church do a good job and get things done well. You want to do things that are right and you want to do them in the right way. But we can do everything right and get love wrong and we get it all wrong. It's nothing. We can win the argument. We can accomplish the task. We can get things organized. We can... Get the whole thing running like a well-oiled machine, ministering to all these different people. We can get our plan right. We can get our ministry right. We can get the right person leading. We can raise enough money. We can get the building in tip-top shape. We can get a ton of students here for our student ministry. We can get a ton of children here for our VBS ministry. We can do all of these things, but if we don't have love, we've gained nothing. We've done nothing. We've accomplished nothing. We must have love. And so love is essential. There's a popular Christian song that you may have heard that quotes this particular passage of Scripture somewhere in the middle of the song or toward the end of the song. But the words to it are this. If I sing 
but don't have love, I waste my breath with every song I bring, an empty voice, a hollow noise. If I speak with a silver tongue, convince a crowd, but don't have love, I leave a bitter taste with every word I say. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. Let my love look like you and what you're made of. How you lived, how you died. Love is sacrifice. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. You see, Christian love is essential. Without it, it's just noise. Which leads to number two, because you might say this morning, yeah, pastor, I understand that. We need to love people. And so I do. I, I generally love People, I'm a fairly loving person. I don't think there are many Christians who would say, no, I'm not that loving of a person. The problem is that we tend to define that love in our own way. We tend to set the parameters, make the rules, describe what love looks like. But we are not free to describe love, to define love in the way that we would define it because the Bible has already defined it. And so Christian love must be biblical, must be biblical. What Paul is doing in verses four through eight is he's actually saying this is what love looks like. This is a biblical picture of love. So before we start making excuses about the previous thing, pointing fingers to all the people we think that we're that are unloving, self-justifying and thinking that we are loving and we just. We're just generally loving people. Let's really evaluate our hearts based on the biblical picture of love. What does it look like to love? And so Paul says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not, it's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice of at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. If the passage was not already convicting enough, it certainly is convicting now. Think about how you serve in your particular area of passion in ministry or in the church. Think about that area. Whatever it is, wherever it is that you serve, think about that area of ministry In your life, does the love that you display in that service look like this in this passage? Think about last night, this morning, this past week, the kinds of conversations that you had with your wife or with your husband. Were the conversations, the words, the actions, the decisions, the tone of voice reflective of the kind of love that we see here in this passage. If you think about your love for your children this week and the way that you've taught them, the way that you've nurtured them, the way that you've disciplined them, the way that you've led them, have you led them in a way that would reflect the kind of love that we see in this passage? My guess is that if you're like me, There's some area of weakness, much less extending that out to friends, neighbors, people in our town, 
the people that we work with. Think about how you love those who are hardest to love in your life. Do you love in this way? And yes, there are some of those within this church family for you, I'm sure. How do you love? Let's just think about these for a moment. Patient. Love is patient. Doesn't doesn't insist on its own way. It waits patiently for the other person to come along. It doesn't get frustrated. Doesn't get bitter. Doesn't get it doesn't lose its patience. It continues to lead patiently. It doesn't mean, parents, that you're not stern sometimes. It doesn't mean that there's not a sense of forcefulness sometimes necessary when it comes to authority structures in our life. But are you patient with one another? I don't know about you, but I fail on step one. <laughs> I lose my patience all the time. Are you patient? Are you kind? Is your love kind? Are you kind in your dealings toward another person, courteous, respectful, honoring, serving? All of these things. Kindness. Do you put others before yourself? Love is kind. Love does not envy. There is no jealousy in real love. None. Love does not envy what the other one has. Love is perfectly content. Why? Because love says, I value what the other person is valuing and has and has achieved. And I want to honor that. I want to uplift that. I want to help in that. I want to help that person receive all that they need. I want to help that person have things that they enjoy. Why? Because I love them. It doesn't doesn't envy. It wants what's best for another. It's not rude. How many of you were rude on the road sometime this week? How many of you were rude with that cashier or that drive through worker or your spouse whenever they didn't do what you expected them to do? How many of you have ever been rude to a church member? Love is not, love's not rude. It's not rude. Doesn't insist on its own way. I'm not interested in just defending my platform. It's, it's willing to, to bend and to compromise. It doesn't insist on its own way. We'll come back to that in a second. Love is not irritable. Oh. I'm just in a bad mood. I love that excuse. This passage doesn't give you that excuse. <laughs> you can't just say, well, I'm just in a bad mood today. You know why? Because love meets the bad mood and says, I'm going to overcome the bad mood for the sake of honoring you because Christ is worthy. I'm irritable. But I'm not going to be irritable with you. Love is not resentful. It doesn't hold grudges. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. What does he mean there? Certainly we don't want others to fall into sin. You don't want as a, as a person who loves someone else, you don't want someone else to fall into sin because it's to their destruction. I think about all the times that we have rejoiced when evildoers get what's coming to them. Maybe this is a form of rejoicing in their wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. So just when you thought that love doesn't insist on its own way, and that means that we have to compromise even in areas of truth. No, we don't jettison the truth in order to keep loving. No, love rejoices in truth. Rejoices in truth. I want you to know the truth, and I want you to be set free by the truth in your life. Love rejoices in truth. 
And Paul finishes by saying love bears all things. All things. Everything. Every hardship. Every pain. Every frustration. Every clash of relationship. Love believes all things. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. It's the the idea that we believe we're going to make it beyond this. That That this can be worked out. This can be dealt with. Why? Because... We believe all things. We believe that God is able. He's powerful enough to restore relationships that have been broken. We believe that. Love believes and hopes. Hopes all things. Why? Because Christian love has a hope that will never disappoint. It always is alive. Why? Love endures all things. Even through the hardest of moments. It pains me to watch Christian marriages end. Because Christian love endures all things. And and you say, Pastor, yeah, but you don't understand. You don't understand what I've been going through and how hard this has been. Yes, I do. (laughs) Because I've been there. And the reality is that God is able to sustain you even through the darkest of days. Even through the, the worst of offenses, God is able to restore Christian marriage. I've watched it happen. Watched it happen just this past year. A marriage restored that was utterly broken, never going to come back together, already filing papers, and God restored it in a moment. Because God is able. And certainly He's able to do that within the church. Too often, Christians get upset and leave their church. Never tried to work it out. Breaks my heart. Absolutely breaks my heart. Because love endures all things. These things don't need much explanation, but certainly they demand a wide area of application. Well, Paul leans into one more thing before he closes this chapter. And that is that Christian love is eternal. It's eternal. What does Paul say about the nature of this essential biblical love? He says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. He talks about knowing all of these things in part, growing, maturing, seeing in a mirror dimly now, but then face to face, being fully known, this trajectory of life that's growing away from a level of immaturity to a level of full full maturity. And he says, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of all of these things, the thing that endures forever, that never ends, verse 8 is love. It's eternal. It's unfading. It's everlasting. In the end, it will endure. In fact, love is greater than faith and hope because at the end of the day, faith and hope are resting in something that has not yet been seen. Amen? We have hope and we have faith in God who is bringing to pass all that He has promised in the Gospel. We've not seen it with our eyes, but we know it to be true based on the promises of God and we're putting our hope in this, right? That God is going to bring it to pass, but one day they're going to be sight. There won't be any more faith. There won't be any need for it. There won't be any more hope. There won't be any need for that. Because everything that God has promised and all that God is will be right before our eyes. What we see in a mirror dimly lit will be full known that day. What will remain then? What is it that lasts for all of eternity and never gets old and is everlasting forever and unfading? It's the love of God in Christ. 
and our love for one another in Christ. What Paul does is he contrasts these temporary gifts, tongues, prophecies, all of that will ultimately cease with a gift that is never going away and that is love. Why would he do that? Why does it matter to contrast all of those things? Here's why. Because Corinth was wasting all of their time arguing about the things that were temporal instead of spending their time investing in what was eternal. And that's love for one another. doesn't mean that, that these gifts are not important. It means that they're not forever. And love is. Relationships matter. And that's the part of what he's getting to in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. That was immature of me. Like you, Corinth. You're still on the milk, Corinth. Move on. Don't reason like a child anymore. Become a man. Give up childish ways. See in this mirror more fully known now that you will see one day face to face. Grow in your love for one another. The sign of Christian maturity is not how much you know. Not how much you do, but ultimately how much we love. That's the sign of Christian maturity. If we had time, there's a list in verse Peter, verses 3 and following that you should read. And he says to add all of these things to your Christian life, self-control and steadfastness and godliness, all of these things. But at the end of it, the very end of the list, the very last thing The leading edge, so to speak, is love. Increasing every day in our love for one another. Because without love, everything we do is simply noise. This love has already been displayed. Maybe by someone around you who has loved you in a way that points to these things and shown you this love from Scripture Or it's been modeled. Maybe you have a husband or a wife who loves you in this way. Praise the Lord for that. But greater than all of those things, this love was displayed perfectly. Never failing in the cross when Jesus gave His life for you. Jesus gave a love that was patient. He's patient and long-suffering toward us. Not willing that we should perish, but that we should come to repentance. He's been patient toward us. He's kind. The Bible says that His loving kindness leads us to repentance. He does not envy us. He does not have any need to envy us. And He desires our good. Love does not envy. He is not arrogant. He is glorious. He's worthy of all that He receives. He is not rude. He is patient and kind toward us. does not turn away from us, but runs after us in the Gospel. Love does not insist on its own way. God insists on His own way only because it's the truth and it is for our own good. It's not an argument. Love is not irritable. God does not change in moods. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always responds in the same way. Love is not resentful. He does not resent us for sinning against Him. In fact, He sent the life of His only Son to die in our place. He doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. He loves leading us in the truth. 
He rejoices in the truth. He has borne our sin. He believes all things. His hope never fails. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. This is the love of Christ and the Gospel. And so do you know Him today? Do you know this love? This hope? This joy that can be known in knowing the love of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, the invitation is very simply this. If you do not know Christ this morning, never experienced His love personally, we invite you to come. Come and receive His love for you that covers your sin. Today, to repent from your sin and to believe the Gospel is to say, Jesus, I know You died for me. You gave Your life for me. And today I give you my all. You rose from the dead. You're King Jesus. And today I want to give you my life. Will you be my Lord and my Savior? I surrender everything to you today, Jesus. If that's your prayer today, in a few moments, we want to invite you to come right from where you're sitting, where you'll be standing. Say to me today, Pastor, today I need to be saved. Will you help me? Yes. Today you can pray and trust in Christ and be saved. Others of you in this room need to pray that the Lord would help you to be more loving in a way that's been shown to us in the Word this morning. Maybe you need to come and pray for your husband, your wife. Maybe you need to come this morning and pray for your own heart. Pray for your children. Maybe today you need to repent of unloving ways in your own heart or pray for your church. God would here lead us to be a people who are loving in the way that we see in 1 Corinthians 13. Whatever the case is, whatever decision is on your heart this morning, this is the time, this is the place to follow the Lord Jesus in obedience. Would you stand with me all across the room as we pray and then our invitation will begin. You come this morning. Lord, have your way in our hearts and in this place. We thank you for your love for us and we pray that you would help us to love you and to love one another well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning even as Stephanie begins to play. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.